If you're still coming in, if you could find a spot, please. And especially a warm welcome to those who are not here this morning joining us over our web stream. Um, If you're not in Michigan and you have not been paying attention to the weather, we have gotten a lot of snow over the last week. And so there are many who are not able to make it this morning. I do want to make some announcements before we start. The first one is about choir after the service. First, there is a children's choir to practice. The middle school children are asked to join with um, the choir, the children's choir, after the service. So please note that. And then after the children's choir, the adult choir will be meeting in here. And they'll be meeting for the entirety of the Sunday school hour. If you are in adult Sunday school, if you'd like to discuss the sermon, please make your way to the end of the hallway to the youth room. The middle school children will be meeting in a different room, and the adults will be meeting um, in that youth room at the end of the hall. Then there are two other things I want to draw your attention to this morning, two very important things. The first is, if you go over to the mailboxes, you will notice what appears to be a rather rather, um, plain sheet, but I would tell you these sheets are some of the most important things you'll consider during the year. At the top, it says nominations for elder and deacon leaders. Uh, We are entering into nomination season now through about a month. And if you'll pick these up, please pay attention to them and make nominations. This is the way that our church selects leaders for our church. And so I want to encourage those those of you who will make nominations, please do that. And then also consider if you would be nominated that nomination. So there's a whole process involved, but please, the first and most important step is to make that nomination, read the sheet, fill out the second sheet, and then detach it and put it in the session mailbox, which is on the very right side at the top of those session mailboxes. And then the last thing I want to draw your attention to is today I want to recognize Tracy, our office administrator, and I want to say some nice things about her first. She's going to be retiring on the 15th of next month, so she has just a few weeks left. And I have not been been looking forward to retirement, even though I think uh, it's the right time in her life to do it. Um, She has been a person that exemplifies the following three characteristics in my mind. Uh, She is a person who has worked very hard at that position. There are a lot of things that go through the office that are sort of unseen and unknown, Yet she makes it all work, to put it very simply, she's like the hub in the middle of what our office does. And so I'm deeply grateful for the amount of hard work that she has put into that position over a number of years. The second thing I admire about her is that she is usually very cheerful, and that's an important thing. Even sometimes when there are ups and downs in the work of ministry, she maintains that cheerful attitude, and that is deeply appreciated. And the third thing is perhaps most important of all, she's a person of incredible integrity. So she wants to do her job well, but she wants to do it in a way that honors the people around her. And that is deeply, deeply important. So I don't know, we have not started worship yet, but I want you to stand up, Tracy, if you would. And I also want to clap for you. I know that's not common. And I would just add to the end of that, we are looking for someone, I almost said replacement, I'm not sure if she can be replaced, but someone to fill that position after she is finished. So we've been advertising for that. If you're interested, please contact me, um, and I'd be happy to talk with you.
But now it's time to go to worship, and we are here to stand before a holy God. I would ask you to just bow your head and to pray or to meditate for a moment before we enter into our call to worship. call to worship this morning is so appropriate based on the week that we have had in Psalm 97 verses 1 and 2 we read these words the Lord reigns let the earth rejoice let the many coastlands be glad clouds and thick darkness are all around him righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne as incredible as it is what we have seen in this last week with all the snow it pales in comparison to who God is let's stand and sing praise to him crown him with many crowns
us pray. Father, we are here in a moment. This is one day among many that our lives contain. But we are drawn up in this moment into the place of eternity, into heaven itself, where Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand. And all the things that may seem so very, very important in our lives and in our world are placed within the perspective that Jesus Christ is ruling, that our lives are not our own, that the circumstances that may seem overwhelming are not to him, and we can come here into your presence and receive the assurance that because we are your children, nothing can stand between us and the future that you have for us. We are thankful for the grace that you've shown to us in telling us that truth and help us during this time of worship to bring you the praise that your majesty deserves. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be reading this morning from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. This scripture passage is meant to lead you into time of considering your heart and your own need for repentance before your holy God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving or with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There are many, many commands in these 17 verses. I just want to note, because of the season we are in and its central part in the Christian life, that three times in the last paragraph, the apostle mentions the call to be thankful. Do you realize how hard it is to be thankful? Our natural disposition is to look at our lives and the world around and see all the things that we want changed. Maybe it's the person that we're closest to, a spouse or a child. Maybe it's the world in which we live. We want that to change. Maybe it's some sin that we struggle with over and over. We want that to change. And we can focus so much on the things that are not right and we want change that we forget about the things for which we can be thankful. And as we enter into, especially near the end of this week, a day that we set aside for thanksgiving, I want to call you this morning, based on the Word of God, to repent of the lack of thankfulness that exists in our hearts. Let's turn to our God. And you can pray silently, and I'll end our time of confession with public prayer.
Father, we do confess to you that our lack of thankfulness is not just a moral fault. It may reveal deep recesses in our heart where there is sin that is hard to root out. And we need your help to see our sin, but we also need your help to see the way in which sin affects our lives and our attitudes more generally. Forgive us, Lord, for the lack of appreciation we have for others and especially the work that you are doing. Forgive us when we only see the difficulty that exists in life and not the many places at which you are work, uh, in which you are at work. We pray that this time, especially this time of worship, would be filled with thanksgiving, both for what you have done and who you are. And Lord, accept our sense of repentance, not only as words that we speak, but as a deep desire of our heart. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you think about your lack of thankfulness, I want to read this word from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. And before I read it, I simply want to remind you to whom this was written. This was not written, first of all, for you, although the Spirit intends it for you. It was written first for the Israelites. If you remember how many Psalms in the Old Testament record their lack of thankfulness even when God brought them out of Egypt... When he gave them manna in the desert, he brought in fowl from the desert to feed them. He brought them into the promised land. Over and over, the psalmist says, God gave you all these things, and yet you grumbled. It was to these Israelites and to us as well that these words are given. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven. Let us confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. It seems appropriate for us to stand as we recite them. Please stand with me. Let us say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's sing together.
If you're able, please remain standing and please join me in this morning's prayer of thanksgiving. Gracious Heavenly Father, our Creator, our Lord, our Savior, and our Redeemer, we give thanks and praise to you and to you alone this beautiful Sunday morning. We give thanks for this new day, this day that you have made as a blessing to us, your creation. As we have just confessed by word and have sung to your praise and glory, we believe in Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Redeemer. We believe in your word as you speak to us. We believe in your gift and covenant of salvation. As you speak to us through your word and spirit, we give thanks for your love. We give thanks for your blessings. We give thanks for your forgiveness. As we witness the changing of our seasons, Lord, we marvel at your creation and its beauty. We bow down in awe of your power. We behold the power of your renewal. As we gather with family and friends in the week ahead, we pray for safe travel. We pray for renewal of relationships. We pray for opportunities to share your word. As we reflect on your blessings, both large and small, we rejoice in your mercy and grace. We give thanks for family and friends. We rest assured in your eternal covenant. As we prepare for Pastor Jonathan's message, bless his insights in sharing your word. Open our hearts and our ears and focus our attention. As the ushers now come to gather our offerings, bless each giver in their heart, mind, and spirit. Bless the deacons in their administration, and bless the uses of these offerings in our church, our community, and in our world outreach. Amen.
Well, we've enjoyed time this morning. God calling us to worship, us responding in song, the Lord calling us to confess our sins and us responding in repentance, the Lord pouring out upon us his promise of pardon, us responding in thanks and giving our offering. And now we come to a time of intercessory prayer. We pray for those in our community who have asked for prayer. Now, if you are someone who would like us to pray for you and your name is not uh, on the prayer list, we would love the opportunity to do that if you want to communicate that with the office. Uh, If you don't want it to be prayed for publicly, uh, but you'd like a prayer email sent, we can do that. If you just want our prayer warriors on Thursday to be praying for that, they will do that. If you just want the pastors to pray, however you want us to pray for you, we want to minister to you in that way. And so just let us know, and we would love to do that. But let us go at this time uh, before the throne of grace uh, for those who have asked for these public prayers to be brought before our great God. Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge that you rule all things, that you have ordered all of the things in our lives. And though there are many of them, that are very difficult, many of them that we would certainly desire not to be the case. For some reason, Lord, whether it is clear to us or not, you will work even through hardship. And many of the things that we pray for deal with the hardship, certainly of our physical bodies, but also of the hardships of life. And and many things that we don't want prayed for publicly because those hardships are so personal. And yet you know them all together. And so I even lift up those requests to you for every burden of the hearts of your people that are here, that things that are not desired to be spoken and to be known among a large group, that you know perfectly and that you would bring comfort and help and healing and nurture and care. Father, for those who have asked for these requests, we do pray for uh, Mary as she will be undergoing uh, the uh, cervi- uh, cervical fusion and these words, like dis- discectomy surgery. You know the words and you know what they're doing. Uh, so we just trust that you will uh, help her in, on that uh, surgery time on November 25th, Lord, that you would uh, guide the neurosurgeons, that you would help them to do all that they can uh, to bring about help uh, to Mary, that she would be able to be past uh, this part of life and be able to get uh, strong and healed and able to do all the activities that she enjoys doing again. We trust you to bring about uh, that in your timing and in your way, and that you would be with Tom in, uh, as he walks alongside her and the whole family uh, during this, and that you would just make your presence well known to him, to them, and uh, that as we uh, trust you to Uh, bear this burden, that uh, they will feel that burden lifted by your strength in that time. We do pray for Mickey Kite as she is uh, uh, recovering from her uh, surgery this last week for skin cancer on her leg. Uh, Thank you that everything went well, and we just trust, Lord, that you will um, uh, bring about healing uh, for her. And uh, we pray that as you are at work um, in all the aspects of her life, Lord, that you would give her strength and help with her memory as well. And uh, for all the, the burdens that she faces, that she would just know your presence and your care. We also thank you for uh, Everly being able to come home uh, last Wednesday and for the uh, joy that we have for uh, just growth and development and uh, for not needing more intervention. We are grateful for all that you are doing uh, in the uh, Baker's lives. 
We do pray for Zach and for his uh, labor with the MAF workers in Haiti. And uh, as you are at work uh, there, we know that it requires great courage and strength. And uh, we just pray for your protection uh, for each person that is there laboring in the gospel work as it has been so difficult in these number of months. But you are faithful, Lord, and that you will bring about the help that is needed. I'll be with my mom as we await the uh, surgery consultation with the UM surgeons and that uh, if it be your will for that to happen sooner than later that we would know uh, if there is a a possible surgery that can be scheduled to remove the tumor and that we just trust that you will provide in your timing and in your way. Uh, Lord, be with Gail and uh, her uh, her, uh, recovery uh, from her surgery and for this uh, few weeks of Uh, just a difference that she has to go through as everything heals, and uh, just trust that you will give her the help that she needs as well. Father, we do pray for uh, all of the expectant parents, for the Gablers and for the Meyer Dirks, uh, the Oars and the Miedemas. Lord, we're so grateful for each of those who have uh, little ones on the way, and uh, perhaps um, just knowing that you are at work uh, and just giving protection. We just trust that you will uh, help each of these uh, little ones to be brought healthy and happy into this world. But we also want to pray for our sister churches, for Covenant Presbyterian in Brighton, Michigan. We ask for your help in their ministry as well as they seek to labor uh, in advancing your kingdom in uh, Brighton, that you would give them all the grace that they need as well. Uh, we pray for um, the uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, that you would do a work in her heart, uh, that she would know uh, that she serves uh, under uh, an authority that she is accountable to, uh, that she would know uh, that, that uh, you, by your grace, can save sinners like us, and that you would do a work in her heart, uh, and that you would work even beyond the weakness uh, of our leaders to help um, in our country. Father, we pray for uh, our military personnel, for uh, Derek and Chris, for Zach and David, uh, for Eric and Ken, and for Robert. Lord, thank you for each of these who have uh, been willing to serve in our armed forces and for the variety of capacities in which they serve, that they would be able to do their jobs well, be protected and safe, and continue to defend our freedom, and that you would protect us. Father, we pray for the uh, Reach the Forgotten Jail Ministry. We pray for each of those in our church that are going to be a part of the worship services today at 2 and 3 o'clock. And we just pray uh, that uh, whoever is uh, bringing your word, that you would give that person uh, the grace and the power. Uh, to uh, faithfully bring uh, your gospel, your good news uh, to the inmates that are there and that uh, as your spirit works, uh, that you would draw them to saving faith in Christ and that you would even uh, increase uh, the number of harvesters in your harvest uh, for that ministry. We also pray for the persecuted church in the Middle East and uh, we pray for Rami uh, who operated uh, the uh, Christian bookstore in Gaza City and uh, Uh, for the family of Rami, I should say, and for uh, his wife, Pauline, uh, for uh, all those who are just mourning his loss, and uh, Lord, that you are the only one that uh, can bring about uh, comfort and help uh, in the midst of great persecution and and torment uh, of your people in this broken and fallen world, Lord, that they would be able to draw near to you with a special grace and a care. And Lord, as we consider the time that you would draw us near to yourself in the time of bringing your word, uh, we trust that your spirit will lead us into all truth and that we would know you in a deeper and more powerful way uh, because of meeting with you this day. We pray it in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Well, if you would please open God's word with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3. As uh, Pastor Jeff 
pointed out last week in uh, John the Baptist's ministry, right, that John the Baptist uh, was here uh, as the best man to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And as John the Baptist himself said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Well, John the writer now takes the handoff uh, from John the Baptist and runs for a touchdown with our text today. So if you would follow along with me, uh, John is driving home this point. And so listen for this before I read uh, that Jesus is above all, so trust him for life. Jesus is above all, so trust him for life. We're going to see John provide three uh, answers to three contrasting questions. The first contrasting question is, who is Jesus and who are you? The second is, what did Jesus do and what did you do? And third, did, what did the Father give and what will you give? So follow along and we're going to hear uh, John's answers to these contrasting questions. In our text today, John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36, this is the word of our God. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. But he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Please pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. What is the most important question that anybody can ever answer? Philosophers think about questions like that, questions about questions. What is the most important question that we could possibly answer? Well, Jesus gave it in Matthew 16 when he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The question is, who is Jesus? The answer to that question has implications for everything else that we could ever ask or know. And this is the primary question of the entire Gospel of John, as we've been seeing for these last three chapters. Now, Often, gospel writers are called evangelists. Why? Because they are trying to call people to saving faith in Jesus Christ and to be saved from the wrath to come. And so we begin with the first contrasting question, who is Jesus and who are you? 
Verse 31 again says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And so you can see the answer, the very simple answer to those two questions where the answer about Jesus is sandwiched or or the answer about who we are is sandwiched right between the answer to who Jesus is. Jesus is heavenly, and he is above all. Now, this answer may be simple, but it is incredibly profound. When we learn about Jesus, and we understand that he has existed with the Father and with the Spirit from eternity past, and that they will exist together into eternity future, our minds cannot grasp eternity. And as much as we would love to try to understand what it is to have God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in perfect relationship from eternity past to eternity future, we just cannot grasp it. But as the one who came down from heaven, he has information for us called revelation. He is the one who can reveal the things that he has seen, And the things that he has heard being in heaven itself. He has the exclusive identity of being the Son of God and the one who has this exclusive information. And so we will never find anyone else in the entire history of the world like the Lord Jesus Christ who has existed forever and now come to tell us the words of the Father. Does he sound like someone we should listen to? Well, when we think about the fact that he is above all authority, that he is above all in love, that he is above all in power, that he is above all in every way that we can even imagine, then yes, it makes perfect sense that he would be someone that we want to listen to and find answers in our lives, not looking to ourselves. Now, our big problem is that we default to ourselves. But only when we feel the incredible weight of who Jesus is, his true identity, and when we know him for who he is, is the only way we can answer the second half of the question, who am I? Well, John gives us, again, very simple answers. We are earthly, and we are below him. Who am I? I am earthly. I am below Jesus. Now, here that John, the gospel writer, is referring to John the Baptist, right, who is the greatest human to ever live, according to Jesus. But even if he's the greatest human that ever lived, and he stands next to Jesus, he is still far, far far below the Son of God. And so whether he is someone who has been gifted by God to bring the message, or he's using an imperfect preacher like myself to bring God's word, it doesn't matter who he is using as an instrument. It doesn't matter the greatest preacher's Charles Spurgeon, right? The greatest uh, people that you can even imagine that are your heroes of the faith throughout all of history. Put any one of them right next to the Lord Jesus Christ and every single messenger falls very short. We are earthly 
messengers. And yet Jesus is above all, he is a heavenly messenger. Now the Apostle Paul said very simply in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven, that he is indeed God. But we are made of dust. It says in Genesis chapter 3, For you are of dust, and to dust you shall return. And when we think about trusting in ourselves, I mean, it almost gets to the point of sounding silly. Like if we know who we really are, do we believe that dirt is really going to solve all of our problems? And we're like, no. I mean, kind of when you put it like that, it does definitely sound silly, and yet we trust in ourselves. So it says that we are dust, that we are by nature creatures of dust, and yet we trust in ourselves far more sometimes than we trust in the one who came from heaven and is above all. Now we do have to remember that though we are made of dust, we're made of dust in the image of God. And so we do have value. We are, unfortunately though, people who have rebelled against our holy God. And according to our text, we are people worthy of God's punishment. And when we think about being earthly, it is not just about our physical bodies and the fact that when we die, all of us will return to dust. That being earthly also has a spiritual quality to it in the scriptures. The Apostle Paul said in in Colossians 3, as uh, Pastor Jeff read earlier, but also in Philippians chapter 3, it says, For many of whom I have told you, And now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And so we see this great contrast between the heavenly and the earthly, not just the physical, but the heavenly that is spiritual and good and right, and the earthly that is sinful and destructive and evil. And only when we see ourselves in the light of God's holiness can we understand who we are apart from Christ, that we are sinners, that we are lawbreakers, that R.C. Sproul said we have committed cosmic treason. And until we understand that is who we are apart from Christ, then we will never pursue Him as Lord and Savior. We will never have a sense of our need for Him unless we know who Jesus is and we know who we are in light of Him. And one of my favorite books ever written was by John Calvin called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. Now, he never designed that work to be a reference book. That's how it's commonly used, but he designed it as an instrument for discipleship. Calvin calls our hearts to burn with passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in the very first sentence of that work, Nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one precedes, or which one precedes and bring forth the, which one precedes and brings forth the other, is not easy to discern. Apparently, not easy to read either. But it's not easy to discern, right? Do we begin with the knowledge of self, 
or do we begin with the knowledge of God? Calvin's answer is yes. You cannot answer one without giving implication to the other. If you say self is above all, then by nature that gives implication that Jesus is below us. But if we say that Jesus is above all, then the implication is we are below him. Calvin also said man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends. The majesty of the glory of Christ starkly reminds every one of us that our feet are made of clay. Now, I don't know where you are spiritually. In a group of people this size, there's going to be people who genuinely profess faith in Jesus Christ, others who think they believe, and others who know they do not believe. But regardless of which category you see yourself in, every one of us are called by our God to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see where am I in my relation with God. So when you apply these ideas, this calling to your own life, we need to examine not just our intentions, we need to examine our actions. What do they reveal about who we are? Do you put Jesus above all or do you put self above all? That is the burden that we bear. So consider, first of all, your prayer life by application. Right, John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, used the contrasting illustration of the butler bell versus the wartime walkie-talkie. And so when we're coming to God in prayer, do we ring the bell asking for the Lord to bring us yet another pillow for our comfort, or are we in a foxhole crying out to our God for reinforcements? And that's why Piper said that you will never know what prayer is for until you understand that life is war. Do our prayers reveal Jesus' ways are above our ways? Do we, does, he reveal that, does our prayers reveal that Jesus' will is greater than our will? What about our priorities? The way that we prioritize our time, our talent, our treasure. Do we view our resources as ours or God's? Do you view the tithe as God's and then the 90% of the rest of it as yours? Or do we recognize from the scriptures that all of it is owned by God and he just happens to make us stewards or managers of his stuff? And so when he calls us to share it with somebody else, we're just saying, oh, okay, he delegated some to me, and now he wants me to delegate more of his stuff to somebody else, whether it's our time or our talents or our treasure. Now, we know that we're never going to pray perfectly. We know that we're never going to prioritize perfectly. And yet, these are examples and ways that we can see in our own hearts the way that self just jumps back into the limelight as quickly as it possibly can. That is our main problem that we deal with. And Jesus came from heaven to earth to bring good news to address our problem. And so we learn by our second contrasting question, the first one, who is Jesus and who am I? And the second question, what did Jesus do and what did you do? 
Look again at verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent is above all. So he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now again, John's answers are not complex. Right, trying to understand what did Jesus do? He gives very, three very simple answers. He bears witness. He utters the words of God and he gives the spirit without measure. That's what Jesus does. Because Jesus came from heaven, he witnessed, first of all, majestic things. Right? He witnessed all of these things with his own eyes. He saw them and he has seen them from eternity past. Now, eyewitness testimony is some of the most powerful influence over a jury in a court of law. So what more credible witness could we have about who God is and what he is doing than Jesus himself, the Son of God? He has seen the Father face to face. He heard the Father's plan as they worked it out together. And he is the only one who has this information and the only one that can give it to us. And so when he speaks, he speaks, secondly, the very words of God. He utters the words of God. That is why Jesus was sent. He is sent as God's ambassador, representing the Trinity. Right? That he has come with full authority of our creator God because he is God. John began his gospel telling us that Jesus is the word. That the word has become flesh and dwelt among us, that the Word was God. Jesus not only heard the Father's words, Jesus is the very embodiment of that Word. And that is what Jesus did. Now, how are we to respond to what Jesus did? What did we do? We have two choices. We can either receive his testimony or reject it. Those are the only two ways that we can respond. What did you do? Did you receive or did you Reject. Now, some of you don't even remember the first time you heard the testimony of Jesus, right? When you were very, very young, maybe from birth, you being here and, you know, hearing words, you know, of the pastor preaching. And, and as you grow up in childhood, you keep hearing the testimony of Jesus from the mouths of your own parents. You keep hearing the testimony of Jesus. You don't remember the first time that you heard those words. Others of us might remember the very first time that, that we heard Jesus' word read or Jesus' word preached. And we recognize that his word is unique. And he does a work in our hearts and helps us to understand who he is. So this promise that is given is not just for church people. It's not just for ethnic Jews. The promise that's given in this text is the word whoever. Right? Just like John 3.16, whoever believes in him. In this case, whoever receives his testimony, we set our seal to this. Now, we don't talk that way. When's the last time you set your seal to something? Right? That's just not a phrase that we use very often. And so we have to bring our brains way back 
right? Way long ago, uh, you might remember uh, what a signet ring is, right? Instead of signing a, a signature to show authentication of a document, there was a signet ring, right? And in the, in the case of the king, right, there'd be wax. So the document is written, melted wax is put on the document to seal it, and the signet ring, right, is placed on that document to authenticate the fact that this message is coming from the king. But in this particular text, we're the ones who are setting our seal on something. We are authenticating something. So what, how does that exactly work? Well, when we are trying to authenticate uh, what the Lord is doing, uh, we are trying to understand uh, that his spirit is at work in our hearts. And so what testimony that we have uh, that is happening within our own hearts is that we are confirming in our own hearts that God is true. We set our seal on it to say in our hearts, we believe this is true. This is certain in our hearts. Now, there's only one person who can work in our hearts so that we would confirm that in our own hearts. That's the only way that we can set seal to something is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it says also in our text that Jesus gives the Spirit without measure. The Spirit is the one who confirms all truth to the sinner's heart. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so Paul says that God also has a seal and it is the Holy Spirit. But if Jesus gives the spirit without measure, then that gives implication that at some point he gave the spirit with measure. And that's exactly what God did in the old covenant, right? That only certain people were empowered by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Only prophets, priests, kings, and artisans are said to be empowered by the Spirit. But when Jesus came, he gave the Spirit without measure. In other words, every single believer is not only regenerated by the Spirit, but gifted, empowered by the Spirit to do the works that God has called every one of us to do. So when we think about uh, who Jesus is and what he has done, he poured out his Spirit upon the whole church in Pentecost. The whole church received that Spirit without measure so that we can fulfill his mission in the world. So have you received the testimony of Jesus and confirmed it in your own heart, believing that this is not just words that are important, but this is truly the word of God at work in your heart, drawing you to himself? Have you received it from Jesus Christ as the ambassador from the Father coming with that full authority? Do you value his words as eyewitness testimony of what God has given him to say? He came to share how we can have a love relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. You see, with this revelation and all the texts that we're looking at, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in perfect unity one with another. And so only when we understand what they are doing, 
Only when we understand what their mission is can we understand how we are to respond to them in following after what they have called us to do in mission. And when we see the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're going to see even more in John 14, 15, and 16. Now, someday, I don't know when we're going to get there, but uh, when we get to those chapters, we're going to see the amazing way that the Father blesses the Son and the Son gives deference to the Father. The Spirit giving deference to the Father and the Son, all working together in their perfect plan. And so when we see the revelation of what God has done, we know how to respond to what we are to do. We are to receive it as the very word of God. And that leads to our last contrasting question. First, we answer the question, who is Jesus and who am I? Second, what did Jesus do and what did I do, receive or not receive? And then lastly, what did the Father give and what will you give? Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now, what is John's simple answer to our third contrasting question? What did the Father give? All things. The Father gave all things. Why? It says right there, because he loves the Son. The Trinity is the only perfect relationship that has existed from all eternity. Our triune God's character is demonstrated all throughout that relationship, and it's the very best model that we have for all our relationships. Now, we are relational creatures because our God is a relational God, and we're made in his image. Genesis 2.18 says, It is not good that man should be alone. God made you the only, only be complete. The only way we can be complete is in a love relationship with him. Now that is demonstrated by the father's love for the son and the son's love for the father. The father's love is infinite and eternally generous. He gave to the son all things which includes his bride, the church. I want you to listen to the cry of the bridegroom. Last week we talked about John the Baptist as the, as the best man of the bridegroom. Now we get to hear the bridegroom and his cry to be with the bride that the Father has given to him in John 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. All of these themes just flow through the book of John when we see the relationship of the Father and the Son, the infinite generosity of the Father, the infinite passionate love of the Son. And so when we see that, how, how should we respond to what the Father has given. What will you give? That's the second part of our con third contrasting question. What will you give? And you're like, well, what can I give? I don't have anything to give. We have nothing to offer in and of ourselves to make ourselves worthy. So the question is, will we offer him our wholehearted trust? It says in verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Please observe from that text 
that eternal life does not begin at death. Eternal life begins at the time the Spirit of God does a work in the sinner's heart. That if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you you won't have eternal life in the future. You have it right now. That you have new life and that that life is what the Spirit of God is at work to grow us more and more into the image of Christ. But the question is, as he's doing that, have we given over to him our whole heart? Or, as the end of verse 36 says, have we given to him our disobedience? It says in verse, at the end of verse 36, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now on this point, when we think about who Jesus is addressing, right, we have a whole bunch of people that know about God, know what God has said from the scriptures, and yet just because we have knowledge doesn't mean our hearts are in the right place. And to give evidence of that, Jesus challenged the leaders of God's people And I want you to follow how all these themes from everything I've I've read and we've studied from this text, I want you to hear how Jesus unpacks this exact same sermon to the Pharisees in John chapter 5. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This disobedience that Jesus is talking about is God's call, his free call to saving faith in Christ. That when we reject that, he says that God's wrath remains on us. We learned in chapter 3 that whoever does not believe is condemned already. We need to understand what this means Because this call to faith in Jesus to save you does not come to us seated on cushioned chairs. If we understand who we are apart from Christ, this call to faith comes to sinners who are on death row. That we stand condemned already. And that when we think about what he is doing, when we understand who we are in light of his holiness, that we recognize this is just not a hobby. We recognize that this is not something that is just good to know for my life, that we recognize there's no greater question that I could possibly answer than who Jesus is and who I am when I put my faith in him. What does it mean to truly believe? Well, some of you may be familiar with the great Blondin. Some of you may not. You said, who is the great Blondin? Never heard of him. Okay, the great Blondin was a tightrope walker, and he uh, would would stretch a a cable over some very, very high places. He went over the Grand Canyon, the Twin Towers, 
and over Niagara Falls. And so he would go across and he'd come back. And then he had a wheelbarrow and he said, do you believe that I could wheel this wheelbarrow all the way across this, this line? They're like, oh yeah. Everybody's just screaming, oh, you can do it, yeah. He's like, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? And so that's the question for us. We might believe that Jesus can save. But true saving faith is us getting in Jesus' wheelbarrow as he saves us. That is true trust. We cannot just be spectators, enthusiastic about Jesus saving sinners, but those who have transferred our trust to him alone. What did the Father give Jesus? He generously gave him all things because he loves the Son. And if we love the Son, what should we give to him but all things? Do we give him our minds but not our hearts? Do we give him our time but not our treasure or vice versa? Do we give him only parts of ourselves? What are we withholding that is demonstrating that we don't truly trust in the love of our Heavenly Father. I don't know what it is for you. Ask Him to show you what it is for you. But it is by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that He will enable us more and more to identify those things that we are still holding on to, those things that we haven't given over to Him yet. And as we give those over and we trust Him above all, then we will demonstrate that is the essence of eternal life, that Jesus is above all. So trust him for life. Amen. Father, as we acknowledge that you are above all, that your word given to us is greater than any other word we could have received from any other person in this world. And as weak as we are, as weak as this messenger is, as foolish as we are as sinners to be distracted by the things of this world that can never satisfy, Lord, we ask you to give us a focus upon all that is ours in Christ and find our greatest joy, our greatest hope, and our greatest life showing in every possible way that Jesus is above all, that the world might see and believe, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let us respond to our great God as we stand to sing, God the Uncreated One.
Just a reminder for those that are interested in serving in our uh, choir, uh, that you can be meeting uh, in here after the kids sing and the are meeting in here and having uh, that time uh, together. And then also the adult Sunday school classes all the way down the hall on the right if you'd like to join us for that. Hear now the blessing uh, of our Heavenly Father. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.